so when I uh, when I uh, gave the class title today, I mistakenly remembered that when we talk about Lashon Hara, which, by the way, spoiler alert, is the topic of today's discussion, uh, that there are 22 separate prohibitions in the Torah that relate to uh, evil talk. Uh, in my head, that was a number that was bounced around. I actually did the research afterwards. It turns out there's 31. So think about that. We're talking about 31. Uh, that's like 5% of all, the, of all the prohibitions of the Torah relate to Lashon Hara, to uh, evil talk, uh, which is a staggering number. Uh, and maybe if we have time after uh, uh, you know, the, what I have prepared, we'll go through uh, all 31 of them, or as many as we can, to just kind of see how broad uh, uh, the prohibition of, of Lashon Hara can indeed be. Uh, so I want to start with uh, a statement uh, that's brought down in Maimonides. Now, as you all well know, Maimonides is the number one place that we go to for Jewish philosophy, uh, Jewish theology, most certainly. Uh, and he writes in the Laws of Tshuva, chapter six, chapter three, as follows. Now, the word Tshuva means repentance, and in it he discusses a lot of macro topics in Jewish philosophy, like. Uh, purpose of man and ultimate goals and all the things that we talk about uh, frequently here. And he's talking about the idea of world to come. And uh, we have we um, we spoke about this at great length uh, in several instances. But uh, for those of you that want to just have the uh, ten second drill down of what world to come means, world to come is a code name for ultimate purpose. That's a code name for it. Uh, so. When it says that uh, all Jews have a portion of wealth to come, it means that Jews have a link, a connection to ultimate purpose. And then when it says that there's some people that lose their share in the world to come, that means that those people do not are not fulfilling the ultimate purpose, and they're not, you know, they're they're failures. That's what it means. Uh, importantly, uh, world to come is not only for Jews. Jews have a ticket to begin with, but even non-Jews as well. Uh, have a, can potentially have a portion of what to come uh, if they are meritorious and righteous. As we say, which looks like I'm surrounded by Hebrew speakers, so I'll just translate that, just for those who may not know Hebrew as fluently. Uh, the righteous of the Gentiles have a portion of the world to come. Simply. Uh, you don't need to be Jewish to be part of this ultimate purpose. But either way, Maimonides enumerates the people that do not have a portion of to come, i.e., even Jews who start off uh, in the default status is having a portion of to come. These people that via their activities, their beliefs, uh, their actions, they lose it. Number one, heretics. Makes sense. Number two, apostates. Number three, heathens. Now, all these things are, 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 are the drill down is, um, um, is, he describes what it is in, in detail afterwards. Uh, those that don't believe in the divinity of Torah, the existence of the resurrection, and the Messiah. So, essentially, he's talking about people that have fundamental lapses in core beliefs. Uh, he goes on, people who cause the public to sin, so if you're not, all, not not just a sinner, but you're a sinner that promotes sin, you cause a lot of people to sin, okay. Uh, those who deviate away from the ways of the public, 
those who publicly, brazenly, and defiantly sin. You know, so far, we haven't found like a regular sinner, you know, that we haven't found. You either have to cause everyone else to sin, or you have to be a brazen, public, uh, uh, defiant sinner. Informers. Informers means uh, that the uh, that the authorities are looking for someone, and you say, "Oh, he's over there," and you kind of let him, you know, be you know, taken down by the wolves. Uh, those who impose fear on the public not for the sake of heaven, so people that are very domineering leaders, uh, murderers, I think that makes sense, and the last two is what I really wanted to get to, and that is, number one, habitual speakers of Lashon Hara, and people that reverse their circumcision. So if you undergo a circumcision reversal surgery, you, according to Maimonides, lose a portion of them. Do many people do that? Uh, well, apparently, this was very popular back in the day, uh, especially under the Greeks and the Romans, where the idea of, of public nudity was very commonplace, and circumcision was a stigma. Thus, if you wanted to, you wanted to you know, be like the Joneses, mm-hmm. right? you uh, wanted to join the gymnasium and throw discuses, uh, and you wouldn't be able to do it because you, know, you look weird, you're mutilated. And you're a Jew, so you go to the very expensive and somewhat painful uh, circumcision reversal surgery. Now, well, no, they lose their portion. Their portion. That's right. They're done. Uh, now, I, I think that there's room for analysis of this um, of this collection um, because you know there's some things that make a lot of sense. I think you know if someone you know, doesn't believe in God, or someone converts out of Judaism, or someone has heretical beliefs. Well, that makes sense. Okay, they're checking out of, uh, you know, of what it means to be Jewish. Then they, they lose a portion of what they come. They lose the idea of ultimate prayer. I think it makes, that makes a lot of sense. If someone's a murderer, well, that's, you know, the worst thing you could do. Um, causing the public to sin, I think that makes sense as well. Uh, a few things here. Um, someone who deviates from the ways of the public. If you're different, if you're, you know, you're, you're a little bit of a nonconformist, you lose your portion of what they come? Well, I mean, that could be a reverse thing. You could deviate from the ways of the public if they're all bad, you know, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, 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 thing. okay. That's not what it means. <laughs> <laughs> so Abraham, who deviated from the ways of the pagans, he's not on this list. Yeah, most certainly. But what, what's so wrong with the... So if the public is evil, you don't... Yeah, well, that wouldn't yeah. be. That wouldn't be. Um, it means that someone is is is, is different or, or is on their own, is independent, uh, is nonconformist. What it seems to me. Uh, well, what's wrong with that? Is that a sin? No. Is there's a saying anywhere in the Torah, "Thou shall not deviate from the ways of the public." Is it talking about separating yourself from the community. Yeah, that's what. Uh, that's yeah. probably because you're not helping the community, or uh... you, you are saying. Um, I, I guess an example of this would be is that everyone does something this way, and you say, "I'm not with them." And I'm, I'm different. Well, I and there's an example. I have an example. I just, if someone remembers, we, we spoke about this many, many moons ago. Uh, I gave an example of, of this idea. Dan, you remember, perchance? No. Okay. So um, this is a very interesting insight. Uh, and we find the following statement of the Talmud. See if, you, see if this uh, jiggers anyone's memory. Following statement of the Talmud. Okay. If someone sees a seminal emission on Yom Kippur, he's going to die that year. Well, 
it's, it's not done. It's not done yet. It's not done yet. You wouldn't have forgotten that. No, I do not. Okay, now... Yeah, you got me curious. Okay, that's what it says. If someone sees a seminal mission on Yom Kippur, he's going to die that year. However... It doesn't matter where it comes. If it's from your spouse, that's still going to... Because you're not... Are you not allowed to, to sleep with your yes. spouse on Yom Kippur? That's right. right. Correct. I didn't know. Okay, no, but then it's, not, it's not done. It's not, it's, it's not finished. It's not finished. Uh, however, if the person does not die then they should know that they're a perfectly righteous person. Oh, it could be uh, oh, either sorry. way. <laughs> is, is, does that make any sense? <laughs> if someone sees a on Yom Kippur, they're going to die. But if they don't die, if they manage to outlast the year, they're perfectly righteous. Well, that, that sounds insane, right? It sounds like you, you're going to die, so it's terrible. Oh, you're not going to die. Actually. You're actually... A reprieve. Yeah. What's the deal? So... The answer is false, and I'll show you guys how this is related. Um, we're told one of the five things that we can have to Yom Kippur is, uh, is intercourse. Why? This is a day that the community, the entire Jewish community, have accepted upon themselves as to oppress themselves. You know, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the end of the world. You know, we've all survived several Yom Kippurs. But it's not easy to fast for 26 hours. You know, it, it's a, it, we're withholding from certain pleasures. Now, there are perks for being part of the community. And that one of the, the biggest of all those perks is the fact that you are judged not as an individual, but as a member of the community. And you know what? That's a very good thing. Because individually, if we were to be scrutinized as an individual, most of us would not stand to the test. Thus, says the Talmud, if someone... If someone sees a seminal mission, what does that mean? It means he's saying the entire community, they're refraining from pleasure. I'm going to engage in pleasure. Well, okay, you don't want to be part of the community? That's fine. Right? You, could be a, you could be an independent person. But what happens to independent people? They get judged independently. Well, what happens if they get judged independently? They're going to die that year. But if you didn't die that year, what does that mean? It means that you are perfectly righteous because you independently judged, not as a member of the community, you were able to withstand the test. No, now makes sense. How cool is that? Does that make sense? Are we good? So let's try to translate this to here. Yes? We good? Everyone so far? Okay. All Jews have a portion of wealth to come. Now, why would all Jews have a portion of wealth to come? Even an eight-day-old baby. What, what, what do they do? What do they do to earn it? Absolutely nothing. Why do they have a portion of wealth one of the perks of being Jewish. Because you are part of the community. It's not because you did something, because you are judged as part of the community. When someone says, I'm going to deviate from the ways of the public, what happens? He is saying, I don't want to be part of the community. Is that a sin? Not necessarily. You're, not, you're saying, I'm, I'm different. Is that a sin? No. But if you're different, okay, you're different. Then you're not part of the Jewish community? Okay, you're not part. That's fine. Then you're judged on your own merit. On your own merit. On your own merit. Well, then you're not guaranteed a portion of what's coming. You lose it. Well, maybe you can earn it on your own merit, but you're not earning it as being part of this association. Similarly, someone who reverses their circumcision. Now, a circumcision is a very special mitzvah. It's a mitzvah that is a brand of the Jew. That is something that is uh, irrevocably, or not, not, not irrevocably, but designed to be irrevocably uh, a symbol uh, of, 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 our, of our religion. 
Someone says, you know what? I don't want to be identified as a Jew. I want to reverse it. Now, there is not a single prohibition in the Torah that says, do not, thou shall not reverse thy circumcision. It doesn't say it anywhere in the Torah. It's not a sin. But it is an indication of someone's intention vis-a-vis their membership in the tribe. They say, we don't want to, oh, you don't want to be part of the tribe? Okay, you'll be judged as an individual. Individual, well, then you, you're not guaranteed. You're not stamped, rubber stamped your portion in the world to come. And that brings us, brings us to Lashon Hara. Now, we know Lashon Hara is a bad sin. We'll talk more about it today. But is it so bad that it's, you lose your portion of the world to come? Now, I want to also mention that it doesn't say someone who speaks Lashon Hara. It says someone who is a habitual Lashon Hara speaker. So, I guess, you know, it's not, you know, we're not assured that we're not part of it. <laughs> because as we may see, you know, there's, it's pretty exhaustively, the, you know, the restrictions against Lashon Hara. But it's so bad, which, which to us, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's something that is, you know, lumped together with the murderers and the heathens and those who reject the core elements of the Jewish faith. You know, it's it's pretty bad. You know, and I think that that's a good way to um, to be to be you know to just ask the question. You know, what's so bad about someone who you know speaks negatively about someone else? Why is it so terrible? that it's labeled as being one of the things that could potentially make us lose our portion of what's to come. And, and, and what does that mean? It means we lose all meaning and purpose in life. We're failures in life. Why is it so bad? And, and I want to I I add you know, another important, really, um, question, or, or what the core, what the, what's the core of the problem? And I think that our perception, at least, of of our words. You know, Lashon Hara means I speak to someone else negatively about a third party. There's the speaker, there's the listener, and there's the subject. It's words. I said something bad. Did I do something bad? Is the person harmed, the subject? Did I lie? Did I lie? Well, it's important to note that if I lied, I did not speak Lashon Hara. It's a different offense. Right? That's a t- totally different offense. Tomos Yishemra means uh, uh, to, you know, to slander or uh, a libel, but it's not Lashon Hara. So I said something which is true. It's true. You know, if I, if I said about someone, uh, this guy, I, 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 you know, I'm his accountant, I saw his tax returns, <laughs> stretch the truth a little bit you know and it's a true statement and the person is not going to tell the government that no one's going to be harmed but it's a derogatory statement that's a shonara but what happens like it's words it's it's gone it's it's not something that's lasting I don't do anything what's so bad about shonara what's so bad about it I said something okay I said something is it so bad that it's incorporated with the, you know, in the pantheon of great sins? You can, I think I know what you're leading up to. Okay. It, by, by defaming, maligning um, someone else, you, you could end up destroying the community. Mm. Yeah. You're saying there's, there's, there's the ripple effect. Well, yeah. Yeah. the whole thing, negatively about him, and 
you know, yeah, that because then it goes, then it gets translated, then it gets conveyed to someone else, someone else, and you get the. So you're saying that there's, 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 there's lasting chaos there. in the community. But let, let me ask you a different question. So if that was all, I, I agree. I agree that that that, that your point, uh, Steve, is, is a very powerful point. That sometimes we don't know the, what the consequences of our action, of our of our words are going to be. It's possible this is going to be conveyed. Uh, down the line, and the guy will lose his job, and he'll be upset at you, and there'll be discord in the community. I think that's, that's a very powerful thought. And sometimes we don't think about that. You know, we don't think past the current setting that we're in. You know, I'm just talking to someone, and we talk, and that's it. We think it's over, but it's very possible that it could go on, and that's associated back to us. You know, when I do something, and I set something in motion, both positively and negatively, the repercussions of that are all associated back to me. We know it says in Genesis uh, that um, uh, so Cain and Abel. So God goes to Cain and says, well, where's your brother? And he says, whoa, my brother's keeper, famously. And then he says to him, the bloods of your brother are calling out to me. And if you read the Torah in the original Hebrew, it makes it very clear that it doesn't say the blood of your brother. It says the bloods, plural. Uh, that's a little subtlety. It doesn't seem to make that much of a difference. But it, our sages point out is that it's not just his brother's blood, but his brother's potential kids that he would have had had he not been murdered, their blood, and the blood of their kids, and for eternity. <laughs> Thus, if someone is a murderer, they're not just a murderer of one single solitary individual, anything that potentially would have happened as a result of this person had he lived, all that is associated back to the original uh, uh, sin. Just think about how you know, cumulative that is. Essentially, Cain and Abel is half the world. So Cain is a murderer of eight billion people. You know? And it, you know, he wasn't thinking that far down the line, but that's how we see it. Yeah, at least eight billion people. Right, that's the, you know you would assume that if there was two K, you know that the population would have doubled. Assumption, uh, but that's that, and that would all be associated back to the original activity. So if I speak lashon hara about someone, and that goes to someone, he speaks lashon hara to someone else. Well, maybe that lashon hara, I have a slice of it as well because I I informed him of something negative about a third party that he went to tell to a fourth party, and now that sin is going to be perpetuated, and it's all going to be associated back to me, and that's unfortunate. Oh, maybe yeah. Yeah, I'm saying, uh, you know, the idea is that everything goes, uh, everything goes. And by the way, the converse is true as well. You know, if I encourage someone to do a mitzvah or to accept upon themselves right. a good practice, and they teach it down the line, well, that all that's associated back to me. So that's remarkable. Which is part of what our mission is, isn't it? That's right. You know, if I save someone, let's say I save someone from dying. You know, so it says the doctor, it's an important thing. Right? You save someone from dying. Great, right? You're a hero, right? But more than that, now that person has a whole fruitful life and has 12 kids, you know, those kids are associated back to you. All the merits you get a slice of. That's the um, exponential growth. That's the <laughs> You want to get another top, right? <laughs> Amway. It's Amway, Ambit, all the M's. You, you belong to Ambit? No. <laughs> no. My daughter-in-law sells this unique stuff. She's making a, I don't know, what do you call it, eyelash stuff. 
the rule is if, if they ever have to explain to you why it's not a multi-level marketing, oh, it probably is. <laughs> He's doing very well. I'm, I'm not buying. <laughs> so I, I think that, that that's, you know, if, if this is what we came out with today, if this was the only takeaway from today, this idea of the compounding effect of our activities, it's a very valuable lesson. Like Take that home with you and just know that like this augments every activity of ours. If we do something good, it's not just that one activity. Anything that comes out of that is associated back to us. You know, if you like, you save someone, and you save someone physically, or even spiritually. You know, someone is depressed; they're suicidal. And you help them, you nurture them back to life, and they have a fruitful life, and that goes on and perpetuates throughout the generations. All that goes back to you. Think about that; how remarkable it is. So you convince someone off the ledge, and that's all you did. And you have no idea how that all accrues back to you in, you know, in, in, in tremendously compounding ways. But, you know, it's just the laws of compound instruments, right? That's one of the miracles. What does the Buffett say? The miracle, great miracle? Well, I think Einstein actually. Uh, Einstein said, okay. That, uh, the compound interest was the greatest miracle. Yeah, yeah like it's, it's incredible. And it, and it just, and by the way, like if I save someone and he saves someone, all that will associate be, back, be associated back to me. Buffett says a lot of interest. Can we balance out between the gossip and the good things? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, it, you know, there's a possibility for uh, the time when we all will receive our final judgment, you know, when everything's finally tallied, and we'll see mitzvahs that we didn't do, and we know we didn't do them. And we'll go to the guy with the ledger and say, hey, uh, excuse me, sir, I think there's a mistake. There's a mistake because these are not things that I did. And the answer is, yes, you didn't do them, but they're yours. And conversely, and this is unfortunate, but there could be uh, sins there that we didn't do, and we know we didn't do them. We know we did our sins. Uh, we did our fair share of our own sins, but there are things that we didn't do. And wh- why is that on my books? Well, it's on your books because you were indirectly caused. It's a very powerful thought. And thanks, uh, Steve. Well, that, that seems to be interpreted in a more narrow a narrow. Um, narrowly, like if I do a mitzvah, I become a better person, thus I become more inclined to do another mitzvah. It's easier for me to do another mitzvah. But I think that that could be interpreted as well in, the, in that way, that one mitzvah begets another mitzvah because of the, of the ripple effect that's out of my hands. Very interesting. The real question is, what makes someone have the gospel, want the gospel, or tell, mm. tell somebody else some story that you know? What do you think? Well, you can't just say human nature. It is obviously it's human nature. It's not social currency. You can't just say human nature. It's not social currency. 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 Is, it's open season. But even if you're gossiping, quote unquote, about someone that's a bad person or someone who's, a, you know, who, who's, that's still wrong, right? We'll get to that. Okay. If someone's a bad, there may be some loopholes here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> usually are. Uh, well, I mean, if you're telling someone to beware this person, they may be going to do you harm. That's right. So that, that may, that, that that'll be another, that that will be another loophole. No, that will be gossip. another loophole. Yeah. That we have two loopholes here. Hitler's got it out, huh? Well, we can talk as much about Hitler as we want. 
Uh, let's move on to just a, a few more, a few more uh, introductions before we dig deep into the actual laws. Um, a, a subtlety here. Uh, we know when we assign Hebrew words to, uh, to items, uh, there's a very specific, you know, we use very specific uh, terms for them. The word Lashon Hara, anyone knows how to translate that? Huh? Yeah, uh, a tongue evil, that's what it is, or the evil tongue. Uh, now, the tongue is not, I'm saying, I guess that contributes to speaking, but why would we call, it's a little subtlety, why would we call the evil tongue? Let's call it like evil words or evil speech, like maybe Dibura. Maybe that should be a more appropriate name, don't you think? If it's evil talk or evil speech, let's call it what it is, evil tongue, like your tongue the flappy thing in your mouth, like that is what's evil? It's not the hardest question in the world, I, I agree. But I, th I think that maybe what would have been a more appropriate name for it, I think. There's a good argument to be made. I guess a few more sources here um, to get us warmed up here. Uh, we find, this is again in the Talmud, in the book of Sota. Sota is the book that talks about the uh, laws of adultery. Or what happens post uh, if there was an adultery? Uh, it says as follows: There are four groups that do not receive the face of the shechina. Group number one: the group of scoffers, <coughs> the group of flatterers, the group of liars, and the group of lashon hara speakers. And to me, well, there's a few questions. Well, first of all, what does it mean to not face the shechina? What does the shechina mean? So. Shekhinah means the divine presence. What does it mean to not encounter the divine presence? It means to not have a relationship with God or to God despise you. There's no interface that you can have with God. Okay. Uh, why are they groups? Why not four individuals? Like four individuals that don't encounter uh, God. No? I think that's that would be an appropriate way to write it, right? That says there's four groups that don't receive the face of, of God or the face of the Shekhinah. The group of scoffers, flatterers, liars, and habitual Lashon Ra speakers. It could have said very simply, there's four individuals or four sins that cause someone uh, to, not, uh, to not be able to have a relationship with God. I think that's inappropriate. Uh, lastly, I think it's very important to point out that these all four groups are related, at least indirectly, to speech. You know, a scoffer, a flatterer, a liar, and Lashon Ra speaker. It seems that I, 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 I want to say it's not a coincidence that these four groups are lumped together. Uh, clearly, we see that our speech matters. You know, if I tell a lie, what really happens? Nothing bad really happens. Really, you know. If I'm a flatterer, what's the big deal? You know, it's words; they evaporate; they're gone. Try to find me those words that I said yesterday. Unless they were recorded, they're gone. We maybe have a faint, a faint memory. I'm not sure exactly what they said. You know, I record my classes, by the way. Available online, rabbitwomby.com. Check it out. Yes, but the person did you say that, that they had a thing to or that you talked about? So maybe remembered. And it can impact somebody. Yeah, but there's things here that are not that are not uh, lying, so they remember it or flattery. They might not even notice it. Uh, it you know it seems like it's it, it, words are clearly more important than we I think would assume they are. 
put the negative of once will stay sometimes on the top of your mind. Like if somebody said something to me and all I can remember is I was criticized for something, I may not remember the positive, but the last negative thing, you know, because always people say that they try to say good and then they come up with a negative. I don't like the way you did that. So you're saying that words are indeed so very powerful. sometimes you play back those words in your head. I've done this a long time ago and I remember the negative. And then it makes me feel funny about that person approaching that person again, remembering that she criticized me in the way I was doing something. So um, I think you're saying a very, a very a true point, and that is that words indeed are very powerful. We know that they're powerful. You know, we know that when someone says negative, something negative about us, it steams and could last for years and decades. Oh, and conversely, if someone says something really positive and genuine and sincere to us, that, that lasts as well. You know, someone says something really nice and really meaningful, that lasts as well. Very interesting. But, but I think if you were to ask us, you know, if you say something, well, you, we don't think so much about what we say. We talk a lot. Well, I, I think that there is a, there is a divide between our perspective or our habits with regards to our speech and the effects and the positive and negative effects that we can engender in other people um, via our speech and also the spiritual implications of our speech. You know, I, I think that you know, that's an important thing. Yes, we talk a lot. We don't necessarily always weigh our words so deliberately. We, we say a lot of things. We don't necessarily think it through exactly what we're going to say and what the effect is. But when we're the recipients of that, we hear something that's really biting uh, criticism or a really nice compliment, those things really last with us. You know? You know, they resonate within ourselves. So there's a divide, number one, between our perception of speech and our perception of being recipients of, of good and bad speech on one hand, but also with what the Torah, the Torah, I'm bringing out more examples here of how strictly the Torah uh, seems to view people who speak badly. So we gave, for example, four groups that don't meet God, all of them related to speech. Habitual Lashon Raspiko, they write down to a portion of to come. I have another one here. This is, again, from Maimonides. This is from the laws of Deot. Deot is laws of character. And he says as follows. Uh, retribution is extracted in this world for three cents. So typically we know that this is the world of activities and there's other worlds for reward and punishment. Our reward, we don't get reward and punishment in this world. Okay. But for three sins, we do get reward and punishment in this world. And what and they are um, idolatry, um, um, illicit sexual sexuality, and murder, which are the three cardinal sins. And then he adds, and Lashon Hara is equal to all of them. What? Lashon Hara is equal to all of them? To me, like, that, was, that was a mind-blowing statement. On top of them all, Lashon Hara. Three cardinal sins and all of them equal to Lashon Hara. To me, like, that was eye-opening. This is what Maimonides, Maimonides brings says down. that's equal to all of them. Yes, yes, yes. And obviously, he, it's sourced in the Talmud. So this is, yeah, I'm curious yeah. about it. Uh, additionally, he tells us Lashon Ra kills three people, the speaker, the listener, and the subject. And the listener is worse than the speaker. So typically we think of the bad guy in the conversation as being the speaker, but he's telling us that the listener, the one who accepts the Lashon Ra and believes it, that guy's even worse than the speaker. <laughs> and to us, it's like, you know, we look negatively at the speaker, but the guy listener, you know, you know who doesn't like a juicy piece of gossip? <laughs> well, he can't turn it off. 
Well, you could say, listen, if you have something nice to say, so I know, but you're already saying it. You know, no, you don't believe it. Then. At the risk of bringing up the Hitler analogy, is that does that mean that uh, Hitler? Would, I mean, the people who carried out what he did, what he instructed, were worse than him. Uh, no, I think this is talking about Lashon Hara, not not in not in act, actions. Well, okay. But I'll just make it clear: you're allowed, uh, and I'll just I'll just jump because it was mentioned already twice. The the verse in the Torah says, "Lo selich rachel ba'amecha." Don't be a gossip monger amongst your nation, and it's essentially telling us that there's a certain bar of quality of person that we don't speak about. Someone who's part of your nation. So if someone is 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 not an upstanding individual, Hitler would be a good example of that. Clearly, he was not upstanding. Uh, then they would not qualify as someone that you're not allowed to talk about Shonara. And in fact, there may be you may be encouraged to speak negatively about such people. Uh, if someone is a sinner, that would not render him out of your nation necessarily. If they're a malicious sinner, if they're a defiant sinner, if they're uh, you know, then they would exclude them. So if someone is a sinner, just they don't they don't know any better, you know, they're not necessarily evil. They they're they're, they're compulsive sinners. They're impulsive sinners. They're, they're sinners. But they're not evil. You would not be allowed to speak Lashon Hara. Hitler, on the other hand, go ahead, knock yourself out. If someone is a malicious sinner, then they would be excluded from the group that you're not allowed to speak Lashon Hara about. But does Maimonides does he distinguish some way between malicious and non-malicious? Well, it's it's a term. It's a halachic term. It means a mumor lahachas. Means someone who does who sins just to spite God. Lahachas, the word kas means anger. Someone is just. We don't have any of these people nowadays. Um, I think you, you, you know, people that like people in Hitler's caliber, they would qualify. Uh, it's, it's very hard to find someone today who is a malicious sinner. Uh, either way, but you know, almost anyone then you know is going to be under, under the category of someone you don't know, speak lashon hara on. Uh, either way, once again, this should be enough for our interest to be piqued uh, that lashon hara is a very, very big deal, very serious. Now, conversely, someone who uh, guards their tongue, well, that's very positive. And we find two verses that should, once again, on the flip side, uh, encourage us to try to really improve in this area in our lives. And then one of them is the book of Proverbs. It says as follows, He who guards his mouth and tongue guards himself from bad things. Shomer people shall know shomer you want to guard yourself from bad things? Guard your guard your mouth and tongue. Simple. You don't want bad things to happen to you. Don't speak lashon hara. And then the famous verse in Psalms, where it asks the question, "Who is the man who desires life, who loves days of seeing good? You want to have a good life? Who, who's that? Who 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 among us does not fit in that category? No one. We all want to have a good life." Many days of seeing good. Well, King David asks, well, what, what's the formula? What do you got to do? Guard your tongue from evil and your, leap, your lips from speaking deceit. A simple formula, a catch-all formula for having a great life, says King David, is to just, don't speak Lashon Hara, guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. A very simple one-step process of having a great life. So on one hand, we have the negative. We have the very, very over-the-top, it seems, severe uh, uh, ramifications of speaking Lashon Hara. 
We're told that you lose your portion of the world to come. It's worse than the three uh, cardinal sins. You lose your relationship with God. Uh, it's just you know terrible. On one hand, on the other hand, the the positive uh, of someone who does not speak lashon hara, who guards their mouth and their lips from speaking bad, well, they you know they're that, that they have it all made. It seems like from these sources that if you were to just do one thing, and do it great, you're really on the right track, and that's that's guarding yishmirat lashon, guarding your mouth from speaking evil, and uh, and refraining from lashon hara and from listening to lashon hara. Yes. Abracadabra. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like Abracadabra, right? That's right. Abracadabra. Uh, so, Ibra, like Borei, like Pirishit, Bara Elohim, the first verse of the Torah. First, second word of the Torah is Bara, means to create. Dibur, uh, like Vayidaber, means to speak. So, Abracadabra means let me create like, like I speak. Very interesting. Very interesting. Someone jumped the gun here. <laughs> That's a compliment. <laughs> so um, I, I want to get to the core of the issue here. And, uh, and uh, um, you know, we ask the question, like words are seemingly, at least from our perspective, very immaterial. You know, they disappear. There's no way to quantify them. They're not empirical. They're kind of really hard to kind of put your finger on them. Like if you have no recording, imagine if you had no recording, how would you even describe it? You know, how would you describe if you had to write it down, like words that are you cannot see them. You know, we don't see sound waves. You know, they, once I say something, they go into your ear balls. They maybe implant something in your memories, but they're gone. Where, where are the words? Where, where, quantify them. Very hard to quantify them. Uh, however, in the spiritual world. Words really affect change. You know, we read last week in the Parsha. We read um, an entire section of the Torah that talks about the laws of vows and oaths, promises. What does that mean? Someone says, I accept upon myself a vow, a neder, to not eat apples for 30 days. Now, this is highly not recommended. But should you do that, you created a 614th mitzvah. Now, wait a minute. Who gave us the mitzvahs again here? The Almighty God. I say something, I create a new mitzvah? Seems very strange. The answer is, like you said, words are creative. And not only are they creative, they seem to be creative on, on, on such astronomical levels. I, with my words, can create something that's new. So there's the apple in front of me, and this is perfectly kosher and perfectly healthy. Allegedly, eat them one a day, you're, you're good to go. Right? You make the blessing, it's yours. Eat it and enjoy. I say a vow, I'm not going to eat this. This is not an apple, this is water, but imagine this was an apple. Uh, I'm not going to eat it. For 30 days, suddenly it is like eating pork. I made it into pork. How do you do that? With words. That's it. You don't need to... 
to download anything. You don't need to do any <laughs> incantations. Words. Well, it's not just self-discipline. I create something that this is now prohibited by total law. I, I created a new reality. But only for yourself. For myself, that's true. That's true. But it's also for other people for a long time, people have verbal contracts that you shake hands. Oh, well, that's just... Well, well, and I have another example. Listen to this example. I have an animal, uh, and I want to donate it to the temple. So what do I do? I say, behold, this is an ola. An ola means an offering. I said that... Suddenly the animal is not, it's no longer mine. It belongs to, you know, to, to, you know, to the coffers of the temple. And not only is it prohibited for me to use it, it's prohibited for anyone else to use it. I changed the status of the animal. It's a different animal now. All via the power of words. So essentially what we're saying here is that spiritually, words are very, very important. Um, I'll give another example here. I have a glass of wine. You got a glass of wine, and then you say the kiddush in it. And what do you turn the glass of wine into? It's suddenly it's a mitzvah. And suddenly it's a testament to God creating the world. And this is, you know, this is, you're ushering in the Shabbat. It's an incredible thing that you did. And how do you do it? 54 words. You want to eat bread? Great. Make a blessing. Suddenly it's a mitzvah. We're creating myths. We're creating new realities with our words. Spiritually, words are indeed very, very different uh, than, than what we perceive physically. And I want to say uh, a stronger point here. With our words, we can achieve Tikkun Olam. We talk about Tikkun Olam as being the ultimate purpose of, of our nation. Well, how do we do it? By teaching the world about God. Well, how do we teach the world about God? By teaching the world about God. Well, how do you do that? by communicating, by talking, by using the unique human method of communication, of verbal communication. We, we study Torah. You know, we pray. These are world-transforming activities that can only be done with our words. So essentially what we're saying here is more than that, is that words are not only very powerful and creative, but they're the defining quality that makes our life and our collective national mission Successful. Words indeed are not to be ignored. Like this is this this is what defines us as a Jew. And there's one more thing, and to me that this is the this was the core insight uh, of of the of the discussion. So we said that yes, speech it's kind of disappears once you admit it, it's gone. You know, it's it's very hard to quantify. If you were to try to uh, put words in a lab, you wouldn't find much. It's very hard to measure. It, it do- doesn't seem to have any gravity to it. It's, you know, on, on one hand. On the other hand, well, we do hear them, right? And words can do, you know, we hear them, we encounter them in a physical way. So it's spiritually creative. It's something that's physically hard to quantify, but it's some sort of, we do have an interface where we speak. You know, I speak and you hear. It's a wonderful miracle. Uh, but it's a way to communicate and even things that are not so spiritual. So what is it? Is it physical or is it spiritual? Well, which one is it? Well, physical because we hear it as people. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's not entirely physical. And it's, it's not entirely. It's both. Booyah. What else do we know? Booyah. What Booyah. else do we know that's half physical and half spiritual? Man. 
To me, this is the point. Speech is a microcosm of us at large. We too are half spiritual, half physical. Our body is entirely physical, entirely physical. Our soul is entirely spiritual. We're a fusion of the two. Where do those two points touch? Where does the spiritual meet the physical? How is this actually manifested in our speech? This is the core point. You, as a human, where, where is the humanity in us? Well, our body is entirely physical. Our soul is entirely spiritual. Where is the humanity? Well, in a place where, thou, where those two shall touch. That's our speech. Speech, too, is this intersection of the physical and the spiritual. It's very powerfully creative spiritually, yet it's also physical. Yet it's also something that can be captured physically. It's both. Thus, this is what defines us as a species. This is what makes a man. This is what makes humans. Humans are their speech. Thus, it's not just important, it is the essence and the defining quality of a human is their speech. To me, this, this was the point of, 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 the, of the discussion. Thus, if we, we dial back here, we dial back and we talk about someone who speaks Lashon Hara, and they're losing the portion of what come now, it makes a lot of sense. Now, because they're corrupting their humanity. Their humanity, their speech, the point where the physical and spiritual meet in man, who they are, human, well, if they corrupt that, of course, they're, they're a corrupted human being. Of course, they have no portion of what come. Their, their failures at humans. At, at, what, what are you if not a human, right? You're a human and you failed in, in exactly the place where your humanity lies. Now it makes a lot of sense. It's not just important, it's critical. Now I have some proofs of this. We find in Genesis the description of man. Man is being created. So God blows into his nostrils the... Uh, so we have the, the, the body and then God blows into his nostrils the soul... And then uh, man becomes a nefesh chaya, a living being. So you have the body first, now you have the fusion of the soul, now we have a human. In the Targum Unculus, in the commentary of the Unculus, Unculus is the very first, uh, well, not the very first, but the first sanctioned, first approved translation of the Torah. There was a previous one, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Torah, which is in a not approved uh, version. Uh, and he says something very, very strange. He says, and, and now we have a, a living being. Right? So we have, the, we have the body, suddenly there's a soul blown into it, and now we have a human. How does he translate human? Ruach memalala, which means a speaking being. And this is obviously, was always very perplexing. Like, how you're defining man. Now we have a man. Well, what do we have now? We have a man. Describe a man. He describes a man. Man is a speaking being. Man is the, uh, the intersection, the nexus of physical and spiritual. And how does that manifest in us? Where, where do those two meet in our speech? But essentially, man is their speech. Number one, I found another cool thing here. This will be another callback for us. Uh, we're all familiar, or maybe we're not, but we've heard of the classes, we certainly are, of the very bizarre and intriguing Talmud in the book of Nida that says that a child in utero knows the entire Torah. Yeah. Remembers this? Yeah. Good. <laughs> he knows the entire Torah 
And then, as he's about to be born, an angel comes. What does the angel do, Bernie? Well, someone slaps him on the back and he loses all his... Uh, Incorrect. Want to guess again? The, he's, the angel comes and, and smacks him on his lips. Lip, I'm sorry. <laughs> and they... Um, they uh, he forgets the entire Torah. Now, if you also remember, when we talked about this, this the, the, way, the, the explanation of what's going on here uh, is that a child in utero uh, is just affected by the soul. It's an untethered soul. Thus, a soul, if you were to isolate a soul without any bodily influences, the soul is spiritually entirely. Spiritually what? Entirely. Entirely spiritual. Thus, it knows Torah innately. However, as the child's about to be born, they have the power, the physical thrust upon them, and they forget the whole Torah because the physical, that, that muffles and that masks the influence of the, of the spiritual. Where does the angel hit him? In utero. So to me, like, why even the lips? Hit him in the back, you know? Hit him in the hiney. Where do you hit him? Or don't hit him at all, just... Infuse it because, because the lips are, the, lips are the conduit where the body and soul, or the conduit in which the body and the soul um, meet. Very powerful. So, if we had any thoughts or hesitations as to the importance of speech, I think they are swiftly uh, uh, vanquished. Uh, we now know that our speech is is what defines us. Our speech, our speech is what humanizes us. Our speech is our power to create, our power to affect change. You know, our goal in life is to change, to change personally, to change the world. How do we do that? Primarily via our speech. How do we uh, bring out the power of our soul? Via our speech. Thus, it makes a lot of sense that if someone habitually speaks Lashon Ra. Well, they lose the portion with them. Why? Because they lose their humanity, corrupt their humanity. They pervert themselves at the exact point in which they are supposed to be great. Now, I want to say another point here. We asked the question, if you remember, we asked the question, um, why, why is it called evil tongue? True, but it's, it's speech. Speech is, there's guttural sounds and there's... You know, you got to use your teeth as well. You got to use your lips. And this is what I was going to. Is it because it's communication? Because you can do evil besides without your tongue. Well, that's that's also important, true. Because if if you if you speak lashon hara but you don't actually say anything, you type an email. That's also lashon hara. Or if you you know if you roll your eyes, that's lashon hara as well. <laughs> Any method of communication, <laughs> you know, yeah, that will be lashon hara. You know, and that's because that's communication as well. Um, so then it's not just now, it's, it's, it's primarily defined as speech. Evil, that's the evil eye. <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you remember the monkey, you know? See no evil talking here? <laughs> Cut all this out and you're fine. <laughs> I agree to your point. I'm just challenging you because you're right.
I agree with that. But why is it called evil tongue? Because they but why tongue, not evil speech? Because the tongue is attached. It's divided in one. Maybe, I don't know. This is a question that I, 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 what I wanted to say was like this. What about thoughts? Do thoughts count? Uh, no, thoughts will not count. Thank God. <laughs> it's a strong in the body. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Interesting. Well, that it, 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 in Christian, well, we know that speeches. Yeah, I think speeches. I'm asking, like, why is it why is it represented in the physical organ of, of the tongue? Well, I, we know that the I think the tongue is the fastest healing. So maybe. Uh, maybe maybe words could be could be healed, or I don't know. Maybe that heal really fast. Maybe the, the the what change the change happens really fast. Maybe that's a thought. Uh, but I was thinking uh, just a thought. Maybe uh, um, I think the thought's true. I don't know if the if this is the correct answer. I think that there's probably more than one correct answer. But I, you were saying speech. Sorry, I interrupted you. Well, uh, I, I you you made a point and kind of went back to the. I was just evil. Thoughts don't count. Does that mean evil thoughts don't count? Or? No, it means that if I if I have, if I have a negative, if I know something negative about someone else, and I don't, I do not communicate it. Well, I'm a tzaddik. I'm a righteous person. Okay. Information is because not because it would be gossip to do otherwise. Right. right? It would be gossip to show exactly. Okay. Um, so I was thinking, and tell me what you guys think here. I was thinking that that the perhaps the reason why the uh, the, the the word associated for evil speech is associated with a physical organ uh, is to kind of help us along the way. We have a problem. We have a lot of problems. Some people have something more than others, right? Uh, we have a problem here, and that is that our perception does not line up with the reality. If I were to have asked you, or even asked me, like before last week, you know, what is speech? How important is it? You would say yes. It's, it's important. It's really nice. It's you know, speak nicely. You know, but it's not as important as actions. It's not as important as thoughts. You, that's what we would have thought. We we, we would have downplayed our speech. Why? Because, like we said, we don't really view it as being something so permanent, and so real, and so tangible, and so palpable, and so important. It's words. They're gone. You know, it's like you know, sticks and stones will break my bones. Right? I'm gonna say this in New York. I don't know if they say it here. But names will never hurt me or something like that, right? Uh, we don't think of words as being so important. I think perhaps the Torah is saying evil tongue, right? It's telling us, it's saying it's real. Just like your tongue is real, you should know that when you speak bad, it's, it's real. And you cannot run away from it. You cannot say, oh, I said it and it's bad and that's it. No, it creates something real. And I have another example of this. Oh. About last, yesterday's example with Donald Trump, what he said about McCain. Yeah, Donald Trump's toast. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know that? You didn't I, know heard, that? I heard something about it. I don't know what he... Uh, oh, oh, I, he I heard... He, hero. Oh, he so said that heroes don't get caught. <laughs> he said, I'd rather have my heroes uh, that don't get captured. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, which, uh, that was way Yeah, up. that's not... Uh, <laughs> um, we find like this. Uh, who here knows... Uh, in antiquity, what would happen if someone spoke Lashon Hara? Who knows? They cut their tongue out. No. No. Get to Ras. You get to Ras. 
Saras is a spiritual illness that is manifested physically, either in the form of splotches on your skin or on your clothing and even potentially on your house. It's a spiritual malady, but it was represented physically. I think that this is another example of us being told in a tangible way that we're doing something wrong spiritually. Just like we say that the tongue, it's an evil tongue, something, something that we could connect to. When you start seeing splotches on your clothing and in your body, you're like, ooh, this is real. Like, you know, it, 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 it makes an impression upon us. I think that this is trying to help us along the way in the realization of the importance and the seriousness of our speech. Because remember, the, 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 the chief problem that we're going to face if we really want to improve in this area of our lives is the fact that innately we don't consider it to be that important. Evil tongue. It's evil like, tongue. Yeah. ooh, I don't want my tongue to be evil. Right. So or it's it's a tool that we could use right. to try to make it more real. Um, okay. Now, additionally, just a few more things before we get into a little bit of the laws. <laughs> uh, we find many sources in Jewish writings that talk about uh, the majority or the, the primary area of our judgment is going to be in areas relating to speech. And obviously now it makes a lot of sense because the primary area of our life is speech. Like what defines us essentially is, is our speech. Thus it's no wonder that the speech is going to be the primary area primary area of, of how we're judged positively and negatively. And additionally there's this wonderful lesson in the Talmud uh, that says that the Almighty gave us safeguards you know, uh, that we have uh, we have our eyelids. That if you know you should you don't want to see you don't want to see something bad, you close your eyelids. Mm-hmm. And then it says that we have these earlobes uh, to not hear bad things to cover your ears. <laughs> from the Talmud, and it says your speech that's the one area that you're giving two guards: your teeth and your lips. Mm-hmm. It's so important to guard your mouth, to guard your tongue. That the, that the Almighty gave us two two covers, two shields uh, that we have to encounter before we say something bad. Which, by the way, cute little thought here. Um, we know that um, back in the day, there was a uh, in in evolutionary uh, biology, there was a uh, a line of thought that because we uh, allegedly evolved from more simpler organisms, species, therefore we still, you know, we still have some leftovers called vestigial organs. So apparently the pituitary gland uh, was once thought to be vestigial, not important, uh, as was uh, other, famously the appendix. We used to think that it was useless when indeed it's actually very useful. Uh, but I read an article, um, it was a, a Duke University 2007 study, you Google it, uh, that talks about seven, uh, seven organs that were once considered, that were once considered um, to be vestigial, uh, that are now we found the, the reasons for them. And then the punchline of the article was that, however, we have no idea why we have earlobes. 
But to me, it was very interesting that the Talmud doesn't tell us really the function of our, all our organs. But the earlobes, it does tell us. So I was thinking that the Talmud knows that, yes, all of them have physical functions. They might have created the body perfectly. And therefore, they all have a reason why we need them. However, the earlobes, there's no physical reason why we need them. So therefore, the Talmud says, I have to tell you, oh, there's a spiritual reason why we need them. Cover your ears, not hear evil. Very nice little thought. Okay, so what are the laws of Lashon Ra? We now are very much aware of the importance of it. What are the laws of it? So I want to simplify it. Um, I have this book here. Make it simple. Make it simple. It's only like uh, 400 pages. Actually, no, it's uh, 400 plus 400. <laughs> it's, it's, re- it's really a compilation of two different books. Uh, one book is called Chafetz Chaim. Have you ever heard those words before? Chafetz Chaim? What do those words mean? Chafetz Chaim means desires life. If you remember back, we, we mentioned the verse in Psalms 34. It says, Who is the man who desires life? Mi ha'ish ha'chafetz chaim. Right? Uh, thus, the book is called Desires Life because that's what the book, that's what the book's about. And the last one is called Shemiyat Lashon. It's been guarding the tongue. Both of these were authored by the same individual, who, by the way, is called the Chafetz Chaim. And he was the uh, undisputed leader of the Jewish community until his death in 1933. Um, but these, this is a simple version. This is the abridged version <laughs> uh, that we're going to do today. If you want to read the whole thing, uh, you know, it's all in here. Uh, he goes through the, all the various details and any potential scenario and when you may be allowed to, when you're not allowed to, all the various forms of Lashon HaRa and their implications. Uh, however, obviously that's, that's a lot to do in one sitting, uh, which is my way of saying I didn't prepare at all. Um, but I want to encourage everyone to get maybe this book. This book is called Chafetz Chaim, A Lesson a Day. And it says over here, based on the works, Chafetz Chaim and Shemesh Thus, it's this book, in English, abridged, and every day. Thus, it's 187 days, and you do it twice a year. You do it, it takes about three minutes to do it. It's less than a day. And it's a very, very important book, very valuable book, and I highly recommend it. And it'll give you every single detail you could possibly imagine uh, of, of, um, of the laws of Lashon Ra. And maybe I think we'll, we'll, we'll read some excerpts here. Chafetz uh, Chaim, a lesson a day. Either way, there are two essential categories of Lashon Number one, derogatory information. Thus, if I know derogatory information about someone else, you call them the subject, I convey that in any way to a third party. It could be, like we said, visually. It could be uh, using gestures. Uh, it could be in mimicking the way they have a speech impediment. Uh, it could be, obviously, just conveying it verbally. Uh, then it is Lashon Arach. It could be derogatory. It could be embarrassing information. Something that's not necessarily bad. It's just embarrassing. You know, if you think of examples, I don't know, you didn't pass the driver's test in the first time. It took you four times to pass, to pass it or to pass the bar or whatever. That's not, not bad necessarily. You know, I don't think so. Most people never pass the bar or 
some people, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily bad, but it could be embarrassing. You have to bring that up. All right, you know, that could be embarrassing. That would also be prohibited. So anything, think about how, how exhausted that is. Anything that's, that's derogatory or embarrassing that's true is considered um, Lashon Hara. Uh, common examples. Um, if someone is in their observance of mitzvahs, very, very common example. Like, well, they, you know, they're not necessarily so strict in their observance. Well, that's something which is derogatory. Uh, it's essentially derogatory. Um, or of someone's commitments, or someone's character, or even past history, you know. Uh, they used to not always be like that. Oh, I remember him in the old days. <laughs> he wasn't always like that, you know. Saying that, even though you're, a, you're, you're pointing out the fact that they're, you know, that they're way better than they used to be. Well, you're highlighting a negative aspect of someone's past character. That's derogatory information. It's true. It's a short hurrah. Now, what if you say, you know what? That person is, has, you know, a negative tendency. Well, oh, oh, I have the same thing, you know? We both are really short-tempered. So you're lumping yourself in then. You, you know, that's a common thing. It's, you know, you would think that that's maybe a loophole, right? You know, you're not, you're not talking bad about it because you're talking about yourself as well. Well, that's negative. It's negative information. It's derogatory information. Irrespective of your feelings, your opinions, your intent, it's negative. You lump yourself there, it doesn't help. Why would that change it? That's, it's still negative. It's bad. Uh, it's common knowledge. Let's assume it's common knowledge. Everyone knows this. Or the subject allows me to speak it. He lets me do it. He lets me do it. Does that change? No. Now, why would that be? I want to bring this back to the core point here. When you speak bad about someone else, you're using your most powerful and potent and defining quality for bad. Your speech essentially should be used for good. Using it for bad, that alone is a bad thing. Whether or not the speaker thinks it uh, allows me, whether or not, the, the, whether or not the, uh, the subject allows me to do it if it's common out, so what? I'm using my speech for saying something bad about someone else. That in, a, in its, essentially, that in itself is a corruption of my power of speech. Simple enough. This is a hard thing here. Is there a question there? Okay. Uh, what about speaking to your spouse? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> is that allowed? <laughs> is that frustrating that it's not allowed? Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying it's not Well, is it Lashonara uh, when you're when your, you know, spouses have to communicate, um, you know, should, should you always just say nice things about your spouse, even if your spouse is hurting you? Well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, are you allowed to communicate to your spouse or something? Well, how else do you communicate if you're not communicating? You could communicate about other things. And there's other things out there to talk about, Steve. <laughs> not everything has to be negative, derogatory information about someone else. And this is a very, very hard thing. Like, you know... If someone upset you at work, you know, and you want to unload, it's important to tell someone, right? But maybe you could do it without saying names. 
You know, maybe you could say. Yeah, I think you should be respectful. You, you never attack. I mean, uh, not attacking, but just don't use your speech to say bad things about someone else. Simple. To your spouse? To anyone. <laughs> because when you use your speech to speak negatively about, you're, about someone else, yeah. you're corrupting but your you, speech. You can still say if something was uh, had an unhappy incident at work, uh, a man fine. in my team or a woman in my team bothered me by saying such and such, and I worked so long on this project, let's say. But you know, I'd say that would who be fine. it was. I mean, That's fine. You know, and they're going to say, well, who is it? And you're going to really doesn't say, it doesn't matter. I'm upset and whatever. Can you unload to God? Can you talk to him about it? Absolutely. Okay. And you can unload in your car when no one's, no one's listening. <laughs> you know? Uh, and you can vent internally. Um, <laughs> it's a negative to say to your wife about what's happening. Speech is really limited. No, but there's a lot of positive. <laughs> Almost 49 years. Who wants to hear about all the good things? You know, they're understood. Yeah, but what do you what do you gain? It just it just ferments ferments um, you know bad feelings and you know when you want people talking negatively about you. Now, granted, it happens anyway. Well, no, it's it's not a good thing to know that there are people talking negatively about you. And why do you want to do that about someone else? What do you gain? You gain absolutely nothing. This is an important thing. What's the cost, uh, cost benefit analysis? What's the cost benefit analysis? You gain absolutely nothing. Right? If something is, you know, something happened, and you have to spill it to somebody that you didn't. So like. do it on names. There's only so many people you deal with. I remember. Obviously, your spouse is going to know who you're talking about. I remember. I remember. <laughs> I remember there was a guy who said, "If you're not going to tell me names, don't tell me. Don't don't tell me the story at all." Names and details. <laughs> well, you got to put a face to the. Uh, you got to name names. <laughs> no, I, I think that that this is um, something that we don't even realize, but it's something that's so. It's there's such an assumed pleasure of hearing gossip, right? Like, but it doesn't make any sense. It's not you know, it's not going to bring you any good in your life. Doesn't change your life in any way. Right. Yes, so uh, there is going to be um, exceptions. So, um, like was mentioned here earlier, or like in your case, there's a day of toelas. Toelas means benefit. If there's going to be a benefit, so let's say, uh, for example, we know about the guy who's a crook. Appears to be an upstanding citizen, member of the community, but he's really not. You know, and then your friend comes to you and says, "Hey, he wants to invest with me, or I, you know, he asked me to invest with him." You know, then you would be obligated, not not allowed, but you'd be obligated to say, "Listen, I don't know if that's the best idea." Yeah, if you, if you know someone that's abusing a child, for example. Another example, okay, right? Or you could prevent future abuse, or yeah. right. So if there's a benefit, I mean, then you really—it's benefit. It's beneficial yeah. talk. It's a mitzvah. Yes, so this is... So um, over here, it brings in the laws here, it brings down, I think, nine conditions that need to be met before you can actually speak negatively about someone in a, in a beneficial manner. 
Uh, I think, I can't remember them offhand here. I couldn't find it here last night, but it's here somewhere. It's nine conditions. Let's see here. Um, so he says over here uh, that you'll be allowed to help a person about whom one is speaking. So let's say you you know you're trying to help someone help someone else. That's a positive outcome, right? right. Or to help someone who's being adversely affected by person behavior, right? So, you, so someone is abusing someone or so, in any way, well, then you could talk to them about the negative thing that someone else is doing because you're trying to help the victim. Uh, to put an end to this dispute and to help, other, to help others learn from someone else's mistakes. So either, these are four examples of, of constructive Lashonara that would be, that would be allowed. So let's see, I think he dreams. I, yeah, but I think also something like that where there's such uh, a degree of, uh, you know, of, of iniquity, so much, I think that probably would qualify someone as being not ba'amecha, not of your people, you know? Not someone who's upstanding. That, that might be someone you lot of people on a rod to begin with. Here, here's the seven, I'm sorry, there's, there's the seven conditions. Uh, in order, uh, in order, um, I know that you're allowed to speak for a positive, uh, constructive purpose. Like you said, it's first it has to be first-hand information. If you read something in the newspaper, who knows what you know? Who knows how accurate it is? Uh, if you've ever been like uh, interviewed or uh, someone, if you've ever been called up by a reporter, by the way, I don't know if this happened to you. It's happened to me. You speak to someone about a news story, and then you actually read the news story, and you get an entirely different story than what actually happened. Has that happened to anyone? Yeah. And the people that read the newspaper, they they believe what they read, and it could be entirely inaccurate. So it has to be first-hand first, um, first information. It has to be clear that the person is wrong. You speak to the person himself and then you refuse to change their behavior. So you first go to the guy himself and say, listen, I'm, I'm talking to you first. I want to make sure you improve and then he refuses. The statement uh, to be made must be true and accurate. You cannot aggrandize the situation. You cannot like embellish it. Sometimes we have like, uh, we want to make it sound more, you know, more, more, you know, more important, more serious than it really is. So then you would just embellish it. You know, we can't do that. Um, your intent is solely for constructive purpose. You can't just like pile it on and have like the good feeling of outing the guy. Uh, there's no alternate means by which to bring the intended result, and no undue harm will be caused by this statement. Those seven conditions you're allowed to speak. Uh, po- uh, you're allowed to speak negatively about someone. Simple. Check off the boxes. You're good to go. Um, uh, in a summation of this of this category, you're not allowed to speak negative or derogatory information that is true about someone. Uh, we gave the list of what that means because that's bad. Using your mouth to speak negatively is bad. And the other element of Lashonara is not bad information, but it's harmful information. So if you say someone is not necessarily proficient in Excel, that's not a bad thing. However, however, that may, uh, uh, that may, that may jeopardize their ability to get a job. So it's potentially harmful. You know? If you say, uh, I don't know, this water, 
Not so good, right? So it's harmful to the vendor, to the merchant, to the manufacturer. It's not bad necessarily, you know, it's, but it's potentially harmful. So a product as well. So what even if you if gave your opinion on how you would improve it? I mean, you may not like the taste of something and say to your friend, well, I've had this, it really isn't good, but I would suggest that they improved it in this way, and then you tell your words, I'm making this up to customer service, that it was good except that. Yeah, there can be a defective product, can there not? Yeah, so if it's defective, maybe that would fall under constructive. Maybe that would be constructive. Yeah, if the water, you know, Very somebody got, it wasn't sealed right and there was bacteria that got in. That would be, you're saving the guy from danger. But yeah. if you're just saying, oh, I, don't like the, I don't like the service of the restaurant, right? What are you going to cause? The guy's going to go to the restaurant. And you're causing, you're causing, uh, your opinion then is not what about hoodie critics? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's a good question. <laughs> How is that, you're, you're directly influencing Someone you're harming, or that's your job. I don't know. It's a good question. Like this, these are good questions. Well, you have to figure I mean, out how that lies. Even the restaurant analogy. I mean, you know, it's kind of conflicting with free enterprise there. Uh, you know, how else does competitive economic improve if you don't? So the question is, maybe you could give it like a bad rating on Yelp. You know, like yeah. you say, like you give it a two star rating. So you're, you know, and that's like you said, it might be constructive. You know, you want to improve their service. And you know, and you're helping them as well. So I think with kids it's very important. You have to kinda of, you have to do both. You have to on one hand, you know, you have to sometimes if the kid's in danger, the kid has to tell you what's bad, you know? Uh, but sometimes we, you know, we just, you know, we encourage kids to, you know, habitualize themselves as being like a rod. That's a bad thing. If, if I think that my, the neighbor's creepy, I tell my kid that neighbor's creepy, don't talk to him. That's what I do. Um, because to me, I'm more worried about them. You know, I think it's, I think it's you know, I'll just be safe with the kids, right? Uh, however, you know, uh, he did this to me. He did that to me. On one hand, you have to provide the empathy and the emotional support. On the other hand, you don't want to get them into the habit of doing uh, of Um So I think it's kind of you have to do both. It's a it's a good question, but uh, it's they're not exempt from uh, from internalizing this uh, this message. You know, you have to prepare your kids as a parent. That's your number one job to prime your kids for life uh, and if you prime them to always be gossiping you're doing a bad job however if you're endangering them or not nourishing them because you're being a little bit you know too strict so to speak and it's jeopardizing them that's not, that's not, good, not good either so I have to find some middle line uh, either way let's ask a few, a few more a few more wild card questions here what about post facto so you spoke on a rock what do you do Post facto, you spoke lashon hara. It's happened. Okay. You go to confession. How do you repent? <laughs> you come directly to God, right? You ask for you ask for forgiveness, okay. like you repent for anything, right? What about what about do you have to ask that person as well? Oh well, you, you can ask them for forgiveness, I guess, if they know about it. 
You <laughs> go up, you told somebody something, and then, and then you know, you say, geez, I'm sorry I told this person this thing about it. it. It's a sin. Is it not a sin against both God and man when you do a Lashon Well, that's the question. Is it, is, what is it? You have to. I would say there's, it's a sin against man, and, there, and you can't do anything. I don't think you can even use a shoe for it. Why not? Because it's out there. Like the story of the, the rabbi. Do the pillowcase, throw the feathers in the air, and they blow off. He says, "I go gather all of them." I can't do that. He's acting. Can't do anything about. Well, well Dan, a way to, well, yeah, but you can uh, pray not to do it again. Well, well, you, you, you could, if the person forgives you. Now, yeah, there may have been damage to the reputation, but right. if the, well, I don't know. That's if it's damaged the world. Uh, <laughs> even if the person forgives you, what do you have to go to everybody that's been damaged in the ripple effect? I was listen, listening to a teaching a couple weeks ago, and it says when you realize that you've spoken Lashonara, study Torah. Yeah, well, you still have to repent. Studying Torah is a, is a, is a, is a, is a good, a good answer for anything. Torah is what tells you to repent. Yeah, but how do you repent? Well, no, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta repent you have, as well. Well, you have, certainly you have to ask. Well, I the, question, the question is, my, my, my real question is, do you approach the guy? That you spoke negatively about? Do you approach the guy that you spoke Lashon and Ra about? Do you, you know, try to pick up all the flat feathers? Well, you may make it worse. You, 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 you may make it worse. You That's right. Emphasize. You said what about me? To who? What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you'll just make it even worse. To the person that you said it to. No, if you speak, to, well, what if you, if you speak about the subject? Yeah, but I mean, I, if you go to the if subject, if I said something to him about somebody, I would say I was wrong. I should not have said that. Uh, I, I'm asking the question. Well, right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Well, maybe then you maybe to, that's the answer. I don't well, know. then you have to go to the somebody also and ask that for their forgiveness. And I think it's a sin against both God and man because the Torah prohibits Lashon Ara, right? So, so like it's this. not just... It's like this. Let's assume that there was actual damages. So we said Lashon Ara is either derogatory or potentially harmful information. If there was actually harm done, you for sure have to approach the the person who was harmed. That's clear. Uh, in most cases, there's not going to be harm done. Then, even though this is going to be classified as a sin between man and God and a sin between man and man, you do not approach the subject. Why? For what, the reason that Bernie said. Because if I go over to the subject and I say, I spoke this and this about you, I said this and this about you, it's going to make it even worse. And the ultimate goal of of the Shonara uh, um, observance is, you know, peace. So you just, so... You so you, you, you repent with your man of God, you, you study the laws of the Shonara, you okay. uh, pledge to improve, and, and you, okay. you, you do follow you, the laws of repentance as if, uh, you know, and you don't tell the guy about it at all. By the way, a few, uh, uh, interesting historical uh, factoid. When this book was written uh, in the uh, 1870s, probably, 1880s, early 1880s, um, maybe even earlier. I don't know exactly what the date was written. Um, the Rabbi Israel Salanter, a name that we mentioned many times uh, around these tables, he was the uh, the God of Adora at that time, the, the the Jewish, the leader of the Jewish community at the time, globally that is. And the Chafetz Chaim came to him and asked for for an approbation. And this is one area that they disagreed upon. So he didn't write the approbation. Very interesting little piece of historical information. But the law is uh, that you needn't speak, and you shouldn't, you ought not speak to the 
subject because that will just cause more uh, more uh, bad than good. I'm, All, I'm thinking on this key notice that you did talk about. Well, then yes, then then you then 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 you then you should then you should, then you should uh, uh, approach him. Uh, uh, one more cool little thing that you would get if you studied these uh, is uh, a statement as follows. Laws Lashon Ra would prohibit me saying something positive about someone in front of their adversaries. If I know that someone else doesn't like a third party, and I say, hey, this guy's so amazing. I, I am like goading him on, causing him to speak Lashon Ra. It's like, what? That guy's a crook and a thief, right? You know? If I know that this person doesn't like him and I speak positively about them, that's Lashon Ra as well. Because that is going to bring about Lashon Ra. <laughs> well, don't bring him up when you know that that, that he's going to be maligned in in this setting. This sounds like the sweeping it under the rug thing. You just don't say anything. No, you don't talk about it. You talk about the sports and the weather, what everyone else talks about. <laughs> politics. And why? No, you can't talk <laughs> politics. You just want, if, you, if you say something in front of. Uh, you know, say something nice uh, about Hillary Clinton in front of Bernie Sanders, then you're doing more. Well, then, then you're, you know, closer. Right? I mean, uh, now I would never, to me, neither of them are very nice, but I mean, I'm just using it as an example. Pick your poison, huh? Uh, we should pick on Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, After what he said about McCain, I think it's fair game. Yeah. Um, I, listen, I think. Um, <laughs> The big, que- the big question is, uh, would politicians, I think that's a very good question. Well, you'll have to discuss politics when invariably there's going to be positions made about, about individual. I think it's a very good question. I think you, you know, there might be room, especially because there's this idea of, you know, A, that there's the potential of positive, you know, uh, you know like the idea of, of being evolved politically is a good thing. And I also think that there's kind of like, there's this separation between the individual and the policies. Um, that usually happens, in, at least in, in, in our political system. You know, Donald Trump might be an exception. Uh, but you, know, you say that this person has a bad tax policy or bad voting record or whatever. That's not necessarily a claim against the guy. It's against the candidate or against the policy or against the legislation. Oh, sure. You know? I think that you know there's maybe room for you know for way, more wiggle room there. Either way, uh, I want to encourage everyone to um, get their hands on this book. Um, it's called A Lesson A Day on Chafetz Chaim. It is a fantastic work. Um, it goes through uh, every day. It's a little bit of law and a little bit of like inspiration. Um, which is basically these two books. It's in English. It's written. It's very short. It's not not a lot of work. And you know, like we said, this is the area in our lives. It's very important. And unfortunately, we're not innately going to feel that same importance. I went to Israel recently with a rabbi. Uh, won't mention any names, but uh, she would not allow any type of gossip in the forum. And it's hard to do, and you have to work at it. But after a while, it's it becomes a habit. And it becomes a habit. And, but it's, the bus becomes I guess silent. I was gossiping more than I thought. Which, what do you mean, hide that she wouldn't allow it? Well, not allow it. Yeah, it was not acceptable. So her. if someone would say, that would she stop would you. Not, she did not want to talk to 
Well, well, there's one while I would tell you there's a cool story about the Chafetz Chaim. Because he was a very young man when he, he died very old. He's about 100 years old when he died. But when he was young, he wrote this book. And he, he collected every source about about, about Lashon Ra. By the way, the fact that we all are familiar before we walked in the room with the term Lashon Ra is largely due to him. He made, he made it a mass market, mass consciousness of this idea. But he was really young. And... Uh, and you know, when the the great scholars of the time, they were like, "Who's this young little punk who's going to write this law about lashon hara?" So what they did was, they were in a convention of rabbis, and they started speaking lashon hara about, about someone else. They started speaking to see what the, see what he how he responds, and they looked at him after a few seconds, and he was sleeping. He fell asleep right away. <laughs> and like that's the cool story. Like, as if he's like you know you know he wasn't. By the way, he he was someone who was who was very jovial and very personable and very. Communicative and, but you could still talk. Doesn't even talk about it in life. Then sort of rough. and it's remarkable. Like, wow, it's like you discover an entirely new area of conversation that you could potentially have. You know, pretty remarkable. Anyhow, uh, that's that, guys. I encourage everyone to uh, invest some time uh, in. I say that's the best way to do it. Get the book, read it. It's very. It's you know, it's it's like like nineteen dollars or something like that. It's not maybe twenty two dollars, whatever. And it's well worth your time, especially uh, because, like we said, there's 31 ver- uh, sins, 5% of all the sins of the Torah related to Lashon Hara, uh, at, at least in some way or, or another. And uh, it's something very important. We don't want to be part of those habitual Lashon Hara speakers who have lose the portion of the world to come, the people that are equal to the three cardinal sins. That seems pretty crazy. Uh, and... Uh, it's something that we could improve easily, especially if we have a regular uh, touch point with our, uh, you know, with our study and just recognition uh, of this, uh, uh, of the importance of, 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 of learning about Lashon Hara and improving that in, in our lives. So that's that. I encourage everyone to do that, and we'll see you all. I have a, yeah. and, and now not next week, not next week, next, week, next <laughs> Sunday is Tisha B'Av. Uh, starting from Saturday night to Sunday afternoon, no class uh, in two weeks. We will meet again. Well, I, there was a, mm. a, a in the newspaper from the synagogue. There was a thing about a book club. I was the one who wanted to get involved with starting a book club, and I, unfortunately.